Good morning, Mountain Park. Welcome. Good to see you all. Glad none of you got uh, uh, scooped up yesterday. Either the uh, rapture did not happen yesterday or we all missed it. Uh, my name is uh, Alan, and if you are new with us, we're thrilled that you're here. We're continuing this series, this year-long series entitled The Whole Shebang, Getting Into Character. I'll explain a little bit more about what that is in just a moment. But let me first ask you, how many of you are familiar with an exercise program called P90X? P90X? Okay, some of you raise your hand real quickly. You, maybe you didn't work out this morning, because then you might have a hard time raising your hand. But... For those of you who are not familiar, this is a serious workout plan, very popular right now, 90 days. It's this intensive 90-day 90, 90 uh, physical workout, and one of, the, uh, one of the ways that they motivate people to do the program, and the way, one of the ways that they encourage those who are doing the program, is with before and after photos, lots of before and after photos to say, if you do this program... Uh, you could look like this. If you do this, you will change. If you do our program, you will change. And uh, some of you, uh, you uh, maybe are, are, you know, I know a lot of you are doing it. Uh, Marsh has done PIX. We wanted to show you just kind of in motivation his before and after photo. Look at that. That's pretty impressive. 90 days. That's incredible. So now we're in this series called The Whole Shebang 2, and what we're doing is looking at different characters throughout the, God's overall story. We're looking at characters throughout the whole thing and inviting God to impact our character, to transform us from within. And throughout this whole journey, I've thought about the P90X program and wondered, I wonder if we could create a, a character-building P90X, something that could, for, where we could say for 90 days, you could do an intensive thing, an hour and a half every day. If you're willing to do it, then there, you could be spiritually transformed over 90 days. And we could call it P90 Christian or P90X Chin. And, and we could have a before photo out of motivation that would look like this. It'd be our, our discipleship pastor. And then an after photo that might look like this, that after 90 days you could have this spiritual strength. Now the problem with a P90X gen program is that spiritual growth is hard to uh, define. It's hard to visualize. It's hard to have a before and after picture for spiritual growth. I, th I think we can lose it now. There we go. Okay. It's kind of like after a while it gets a little disturbing. But... Um, but it's hard to have a before and after picture for spiritual growth because this stuff is, is not measurable. The things that we've been looking at so far in this series is we've been looking at characters throughout the Old Testament story. We've been looking at faith and we've been looking at perseverance and integrity. And these are things that you can't quantify, you can't measure. But today, you're in for a treat because today we are looking at something that actually is measurable. And it's... Uh, measurable to a pretty accurate degree, we can measure it to within two decimal places. Uh, dollars and then cents. Uh, we're talking about money uh, this morning, and we're talking about the character issue of generosity. And so I know some of you are thinking, yes, I'm glad I didn't miss this one. 
Awesome. Okay. That's where we're going uh, uh, today. I invite you to pray with me as we launch into this. Father, once again, we are thankful for your generosity and that it stirs our hearts and that we've already been stirred by the uh, outreach offering. God, I pray for those who gave today. I pray that you would uh, bless us um, uh, spiritually, that you would remind us that we get to be a part of something bigger, grander, the whole shebang that uh, this story that, that you're inviting us into. So God, I pray that whatever comes in, that uh, it would be used wisely, distributed in ways that bring honor and glory to you. And now as we continue to talk about generosity, would you come and stir our hearts? Would we be open to what you have to say to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, many of you are probably familiar with the fact that Jesus talked a lot about money. It's been said many times, in fact, I've even said it, that Jesus talked about money more than anything else. When he wanted to make a point about something, he often connected it to money. When he talked about the kingdom of God, he refers to it as a pearl of great price. When he talked about forgiveness, he often talks in terms of paying back someone's debt. And when Jesus would talk about salvation, he would even talk about a lost coin. Jesus talked about money a whole lot, but he never talked about where that money would, would, would go. He never talked about receiving money for a particular project. We see that in some places in Scripture, but not from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus doesn't talk about, about taking money for a particular reason. Jesus talks about money because it is a discipleship issue, because it is a heart issue. It is a spiritual growth issue. This is so consistent throughout his many teachings on money. I just want to take a look at an example this morning found in Matthew chapter 6. I invite you to go there with me if you brought your Bibles. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, about three-quarters of the way through your Bible. And chapter 6 is in the middle of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. These incredible three chapters, kind of the greatest hits of Jesus' teaching. And here in chapter 6, we're jumping into verse 21. Actually, let me back up. Verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, he says this is a heart issue. This is a discipleship issue. When we talk about money, when we talk about generosity, it is not about the money. It's about your heart. That Where the money goes, that's where your heart is as well. Jump down to verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I think it's just fascinating what Jesus does not say here. He doesn't say you cannot serve both God and Satan. He doesn't say you cannot serve both God and Allah. You cannot serve both God and a golden statue. He talks about money. It is the number one competitor for our heart. The number one issue, Jesus fully understood, the number one thing that would get in the way of our full devotion towards our Creator, God. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable about a guy who's wealthy and he gets another good crop. 
And then he's not sure what to do with this extra crop that he has. And so he comes up with a brilliant idea of building more barns so that he can store more stuff. And then in the story, God says, you fool, you fool, you so don't get it. In fact, I'm going to take your life tonight. I'm not aware of any other time in Scripture where Jesus talks about somebody's actions and saying that they deserve death in this way. That, that Because of what you did, you would deserve death right now on the spot tonight. I'm not aware of another time where he says that. Jesus is, is, is appalled in this story. See, this guy uh, in Luke 12, he's not wrestling with how to give sacrificially. He's not wrestling with exactly how to go about doing generosity, the way most of us are kind of wrestling with this and uh, on a daily basis. He's just dealing with his extra, the stuff he doesn't even need. Where am I going to store it? I don't even know what to do with it, but what am I going to do with my extra? Jesus is appalled. He is very passionate about our finances, about money, about what happens to our finances because of the impact that it has on our heart. This is a very, very big deal for him. Now, in this part of the whole shebang, we're talking about the character of Christ. We're talking about different character traits of Christ. And I've known for quite some time that Jesus talked a lot about money. That, that's kind of pretty obvious when you read the Gospels. But I've never really thought about Jesus' character in terms of whether he was generous or not whether he himself was generous. He talked about being generous, but was he generous? It's, it's a very different thing to talk about generosity, to teach on generosity, than it is to actually be generous. And so, have you ever thought about whether Jesus actually was generous? What's the indicator for that? He was poor. He didn't have any money. There's no indicator that he ever gave money to other people. So how do we know if he truly was generous? Being poor doesn't necessarily mean that you're generous any more than being wealthy means that you are greedy. And so the question again, is Jesus generous? Was this a, a character strength for him? Obviously it was. And I want to tell you where we get this from. I remember when I was in high school and I learned in English that one of the ways you can develop a character is by having somebody else talk about that character. When you're writing a short story or writing a, a novel or whatever, you can, you can develop a character by what that person does and says, but you can also develop a character by what others say about that person. It's a great way to kind of shape, mold character. See, I listened in high school English class. Miss Price, you'd be happy to know that I was listening. And, and so I think this is uh, um, what happens in Scripture because there's a guy named Paul who is a, a prolific writer of our New Testament, and we're going to look at his character in, in a few weeks. But he writes about the generosity of Jesus in a letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. I invite you to turn there. It's 2 Corinthians. You just kind of keep on going to the right in your Bible. You get through the Gospels, Acts, and Romans, and then you'll get into 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. This was the second letter that he wrote to this church in Corinth. And again, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, and I'm going to be looking at a few verses in chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. These are words that Paul uses to describe the generosity of Jesus. Verse 9. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus was rich, he became poor, so that we could be rich. First of all, Let's just embrace uh, the fact that he was rich. He was God. He was rich in terms of possessions. He owned all the cattle on all the hills. Very rich. He was rich in terms of position. He's the king of all kings. He's God. He was rich in terms of power. He could do anything he wanted through all the things that he endured as a man on this earth. He could have called on legions of angels to take care of it in a heartbeat. He was a powerful guy. He was rich in many ways, yet he became poor. What he did while he was here is he endured the ridicule of those who uh, believed he was a lunatic when he proclaimed to be God. He endured uh, uh, being murdered brutally on the cross by those who were threatened by him. He became poor so that we could be rich. And make no mistake, regardless of what your checkbook says, if you are a follower of Christ, you are rich. You are a son or daughter of the king of the universe. Let that one sink in. Don't miss that one. You are a son or a daughter. The Bible says you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. A son, daughter of the king of of the universe. You are rich. Jesus was generous. It says here in verse 9 that he, he was rich and he gave it all up. He gave it up for the benefit of us. Having something and giving it up for the benefit of others, that is generosity. That's generosity. Generosity must involve some kind of sacrifice. Oftentimes, that's not the way we give. Oftentimes, our giving is connected to leftovers. That we say, I want to I do this, I want to have this particular kind of lifestyle, and then with what is left over, I'm going to be generous with. And that's good, that's a good start, but Jesus' model of generosity goes so far beyond that, that his generosity is sacrificial. It impacts us in some way. It's beyond leftovers. It's giving our very best. If you invited somebody over for dinner, you would not serve them leftovers. You wouldn't pull out the casserole from the fridge, remove the tin foil, and say, you know, we had this a couple weeks ago. It was good. Oh, I'm sorry, a little bit of mold there on the corner. Didn't see that. But it's good. You go for it. I'll heat it up if you'd like. In fact, there's half a can of Coke left over from somebody who didn't finish it. I think it was my Uncle Vinny. And uh, his, the, the thing around his mouth, that's really healing well. But you can have the Coke. And you see, we don't do that when somebody comes over. If we're going to honor somebody, we give them our very best. And so if you... Consider yourself a follower of Christ this morning. Then here's a challenging question for you. Is there any part of your life financially, any part, whether it is the house that you live in, the car that you drive, the vacations that you take, the, what you do with your recreation, is there any part of your life that has been impacted by the fact that you are a Christian? 
In other words, would there be any difference in the way you do your finances, whether you were a Christian or not? Does it have any impact? Does it shape it? In other words, was there a time where you, instead of paying this much money for this particular thing, a, an item, a clothes, a service, whatever, you paid less for that item because you believed as a follower of Christ it was your opportunity and responsibility to give towards something that you believe God wanted you to give to. Those who give 10%, the tithe, they are impacted as a result of their relationship with Christ because right off the bat, those who tithe start off with 10% left, less. They start off with 90%. Okay, now with the 90%, how is this going to be distributed in ways that take care of my family and so that I can enjoy life and all those kinds of things? They're impacted by that. If there is no area of your life where you are financially impacted by the fact that you are a Christian, then this is a prime area of character growth for you. If you're serious about your relationship with God. And be reminded, this is not a tiny little insignificant kind of one of, of 50 other character traits that are going on. Jesus makes it very clear, this is a major one. This is the number one competitor for our hearts. This is the one that is a little less comfortable to read about, to hear about when we go to church. I want to take a look at the context for this verse 9 that we find in chapter 8 here in 2 Corinthians. Kind of where this is landing. I want to back up a little bit to, be, to the beginning of chapter 8. Paul writes uh, an encouragement to the church in Corinth with regard to their generosity. He says, verse 1, chapter 8, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overwhelming joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What he's doing is he's giving an example of rich generosity by talking about what the Macedonian churches did. They gave richly. They gave with rich generosity. And they did not give out of their leftovers. They, not, they did not give out of their wealth. They gave sacrificially. It's very clear in verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, out of extreme poverty, they gave. Verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. They were begging for the opportunity to give to something meaningful. Begging to give. How often does that happen in our hearts? Jump to verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. In other words... As you excel in all these other things, these other character issues that we've been looking at and that you're trying to be transformed by, these things that we've been looking at throughout this year in whatever way that you are connecting with your God, as you're going over those things, great, 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 great. But excel in the grace of giving. I love that phrase. The grace of giving. The issue there is that it's not just how much we give. It's how we give. 
and that we would have a grace as we give. You ever notice that whoever takes our money becomes our enemy? Ever notice how often that the one to whom we give money becomes our enemy? When my wife and I were first married, we lived in an apartment, and I don't remember very often going into the landlord's office and skipping with, with a tune in my heart with my $580 check going, it's that time of the month, so glad to pay you. It's worth every penny. So thankful that we get to stay here, especially on those months where we would look out our balcony and we would see urine dripping from the balcony above us because the big dog would be left out on this tiny porch and then it would pee through the slots onto my grill and then the landlord wouldn't do anything about it. Here's the $580. Not very often. See, that's why we call him the landlord. I mean, how often do you have these joyful, joyous feelings towards the landlord? See, some of you are thinking, well, I do, or whatever. Maybe you have a different circumstance. How often do you feel love towards the federal taxation department? Towards those people to whom we give money. This is not a new thing. We see this very clearly in the New Testament. There are these, there's this group of people, these vile creatures known as the tax collectors. And it's so fascinating that they are in a category of their own. If you're familiar with some of the stories of Jesus, it it says that he was challenged and questioned because he spent time with sinners and tax collectors. You ever thought about that phrase? You've got the sinners, you know, the murderers and the rapists and the thieves and the people who, who knock over snowmen. You've got the sinners... And then you've got the tax collectors. Those to whom we give money so often become the enemy because money does something inside us that nothing else does. That's why it's so common in our culture to say, don't be very careful with financial exchanges with friends. Don't buy something of great value from someone who's a friend. It'll ruin your friendship. Don't rent from a friend. Don't uh, 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 hire somebody who is a friend to come and do a job at your house or whatever. Why? Because as soon as you give money to somebody, they lean toward the enemy category. What is that about us? I wrestle with this uh, periodically here at the church because most of the people that I know here in this city, here in this community, are connected to Mountain Park. And so when I need a plumber or an electrician... Do I connect with somebody who's part of our church and therefore actually give money to somebody that I do church with? Or do I try to keep it clean? Nope, I'm going to stay outside of that and go to somebody who's outside of the church. Uh, There are times where I've I've done business with people in the church and it's gone well and I've been able to connect with them and we, we are able to spend time together and it's a beautiful thing. Then there are other times where as a result of the exchange that happens, there's a little less eye contact in the lobby for a few weeks for whatever reason what's happening. You understand what I'm saying? And why does this happen? Because it's money. Why does this happen? Because I don't excel in the grace of giving sometimes. Why can't we just let money be a little looser in our hands? We don't own it anyway. We are managers of it. So why not hire someone who's a friend? 
Hire someone who's, who's struggling, who's in need a little bit, and, and help them out. Or buy something from them. And if, it wasn't, if the item wasn't worth what you could have gotten out of Craigslist, so what? Maybe they didn't do as good a job as somebody else. So what? May we excel in the grace of giving. Now, I'm not saying, you know, pay $8,000 for a rusty gremlin just because somebody asked that for it. I mean, there is the 11th commandment, this thing that is hinted throughout Scripture, very clear from the beginning to the end, thou shalt not be stupid. It's consistently there. But may we freely give, as we say in our sonawats. May we give sacrificially, generously. May we let go of money with more grace. May we excel in the grace of giving. Paul continues, verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And here he's referring to these Macedonian churches. I say, I, I want you to compare what you're doing to this great example of the Macedonian churches. They have learned how to give sacrificially, even in their extreme poverty. There's a lot we could learn from them. There's a lot we could be inspired by from them. They're a great example. And then he moves into verse 9, which is what I read originally when I came to 2 Corinthians. And he gives the example of Jesus. Here's another example. The ultimate example. The 3D model of generosity. Now the point is not for us to imitate Christ's generosity. We can't imitate Christ. I can't imitate uh, when I put skates on, I can't even imitate a mere mortal like Wayne Gretzky. I can't just do that. I can't stir up enough desire and strength and want to be in order to imitate Wayne Gretzky. How am I going to be able to imitate the Son of God? The point is not imitating Christ and to the level of ability that He can do these character issues. The issue is our willingness to be transformed by Christ. The issue is, are we going to allow Christ to build that character within us? Are we interested in being in a different place next year with this character issue than we are now? Are we willing to make that kind of a change? Now, with some of the other areas that we talked about in terms of Christ's character, boldness or compassion, sure, yeah, I'm, I'm willing. I can jump in pretty quickly with some of those other things. But generosity? Are you sure? Really? Are you sure there's a willingness? If you pray to God that you could be more generous, be careful what you ask for. Really, is there a willingness there? Is there a willingness? Paul says, I am not commanding you. The beginning of verse 8. I'm not commanding you to be generous. We can't command someone to be generous any more than we can command someone to love. It's a willingness issue. Are we willing to be transformed in this area? Are we willing to consider tithing in a way that we never have before? Or a regular, consistent giving towards the work of the local church? Are you willing to consider paying your bills differently instead of this 
this, this disgruntled thing, but to have the grace of giving. Are you willing to respond to financial frustration differently? The way I see it, there are two options with this one. It's just real clear, fork in the road. Either, yes, I want to grow spiritually, or not yet. This one here is a real clear fork in the road. There's no middle ground here. There's no loophole example in Scripture of saying, well, if you've lost your job, then you don't have to worry about generosity. Now, the Macedonian churches make it real clear. They're in extreme poverty. They're in a very difficult situation. We can still be generous, even if we're in an extreme situation financially. Or maybe uh, your thought in this one is, well, I've got a middle-of-the-road plan because I was brought up with terrible financial skills. I just, it's not my fault. It's just what I was taught. Okay, so what are you doing about it now? What classes are you taking to learn something different to retrain your thinking? Maybe some would say, well, I'm just used to nice things. That's just me. That's just who I am. I'm willing to change a lot of areas, but I just like nice things. Or maybe the issue, and this is mine, this is one for me, I'm not cheap, I'm frugal. Okay. (laughs) Is there a willingness to make a change in that area? Because I think Jesus is so crystal clear, this is the number one competitor for our heart. There is not this middle ground, either I want to grow spiritually or not yet. And if you're interested in growing spiritually, then perhaps you might be interested in a P90-Extion idea. Over the next 90 days, would you be willing to look at your finances differently? To exercise the grace of giving as you deal with your finances? That you would, that you would tip 20% to a server who doesn't seem worth it for whatever reason you think someone doesn't seem worth it? That you would buy Girl Scout cookies even if you don't like any of the flavors? that you would respond to, uh, to your kid's heart's desire for some kind of summer plan that is maybe not part of the budget. Maybe you would respond to your spouse's desire for, to be romanced by you in a way that, that impacts your finances. May you respond to, uh, you know, we did our, our outreach offering. I, I, we were very intentional to connect generosity with our outreach offering, but do the offering before we talked about it. Because this is not about changing how you respond to our, our outreach offering. That's between you and God. But there are plenty of other opportunities in front of you. May you consider excelling in the grace of giving with the next opportunity that comes your way. Over the next 90 days, over this next summer, What I want to do is close with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads? I want, I want to pray for both of those possible paths today. Father, first of all, I want to pray for those in this room who just honestly would say, I, I'm just not there yet. God, I pray that, that we can be reminded that you want us to be honest with you. If we're not there yet, then we can be honest with you about that. God, I pray... For those in that category, maybe just kind of seek in to find out who, who you are truly and whether this is legit and the whole thing. God, I pray that you'd pour your love into those hearts here in this room.
that each person here in, in, in that place of saying not yet would know that you so, so richly love, that you gave up everything so that we could be rich. Father, I pray for, for protection for those who are in the not yet category, that this would not be another one of those, those kind of negative church money conversations, God, that this would be free from that, liberated from that, because this is a heart issue that you would nudge, touch, move hearts today. And Father, I pray for those who are in the category of saying, I want to grow. Some have been given faithfully for 10% and haven't moved from that in 20 years. God, would you inspire them to grow beyond that? Some perhaps have never given on a regular basis have never been impacted by their relationship with you, God, would you come and move in those places? Not not for the sake of what happens with that money, but for the sake of what happens with our hearts as you've made it so clearly in Scripture. May we hang on loosely to what you've provided for us. And may you get all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.